Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I've been up for a while. I went up yesterday to Boston to uh, watch the Yankees and Red Sox play at Fenway Park. It was a fascinating game the night before the Red Sox owned the Yankees. And last evening, the Yankees owned the Red Sox. It's kind of the story of their life. Interesting thing, though, a baseball season comes to an end, and then every spring there's a fresh start. Have you noticed fresh starts in your life? The kids have just done it with school. They're off to a fresh start of school. I remember in junior high school, I was a rather rambunctious young man, well, young boy, and uh, had a bit of a reputation in the school for being a prankster. My parents thought it would be good to move, so they gave me a fresh start at a new school, and I could be a different person there. I had to choose to do that. It took a lot of effort, but there was a fresh start. Here in the life of the church, we have a fresh start several times throughout the year. This is the one we look forward to every fall as we have a fresh start with classes for everyone, a fresh start with Bible study, with learning what the Bible is teaching us. Um, various numbers of those are written up in the tidings. They're also written up in your bulletin today that you can look at, and they'll begin next week. And there's a fresh start for you to become engaged in ministry. And you can go to the ministry fair today and see what's going on and say, you know, I'd really like to be involved in that. Involvement is what we're looking for, involving people in service to our neighbors, both near and far. And our neighbors is both in this church, in this community, and around the world. So many opportunities, I hope you take advantage of that. But also there are times when there's a fresh start to our understanding of what God's all about. It was interesting, yesterday morning in uh, devotions before I left for Boston, Carolyn and I uh, have devotions in the morning, and one of the books we, we read is Daily Bread. And in it, it began by saying this, I stumbled upon footage from a British newsreel crew who filmed six-year-old Flannery O'Connor on her family farm in 1932. Flannery, who would go on to become an acclaimed U.S. writer, caught the crew's curiosity because she taught a chicken to walk backwards. <laughs> now that's a fresh start. A backwards walking chicken. But the writer went on to write this. A life that runs counter to the norm is inevitable for those who would truly imitate Jesus. Philippians tells us that Jesus, though his very nature was God, didn't move in the predictable ways we would expect him. He didn't use his power to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The Lord of creation surrendered to death for the sake of love. He didn't seize prestige, but embraced humility. He didn't grab power, but relinquished control. In essence, Jesus walked backward, counter to the power-driven ways of the world. And Scripture tells us to do the same. Like Jesus, we are to serve rather than dominate. We move forward toward humility rather than prominence. We give rather than take. In Jesus' power, we walk backwards. That also is a choice. I'd like to set up the reading of the next text by Ernie. Ernie, if you could come even now, I'll introduce it, and then you could begin. Like the nomadic Bedouins, 
of today's Middle East, the Hebrew people wandered the desert of Sinai with Moses for 40 years, pitching tents when they found water and food for themselves and their flocks and relocating and pitching their tents again when those resources ran dry. The second text this morning comes historically from the end of those years. The people are about to enter the land that God had promised to them. Moses would not be going with them. He had been disobedient to God. God takes disobedience seriously. But we also learned from the text read earlier that God also takes forgiveness seriously and over and over again provides a fresh start and a new adventure. This new adventure is about to begin for the Hebrew nation. Moses is speaking to the people for the last time. This is his farewell address to them. The book is called Deuteronomy. Deuteros, second or repeat, nomos, law. He is repeating their story they've experienced together to remind them as they enter this new adventure. It has two primary points. Obey God's commands for how you are to live with each other in this new land. And remember how when times were hard, you finally turned to God for help, and God was gracious. Now, when you have things go well, do not neglect God. Continue to honor and obey him, and you will live long, and you will prosper. So listen now to the Holy Scripture, the words God gave to Moses. Hear them not as ancient words given to a long-gone people. Hear them as words to you, a fresh start. Now these are the commandments, the regulations, and the case law that the Lord your God commanded me to teach to you. In the land you are entering to possess... So you will fear the Lord your God by keeping all his regulations and his commandments that I am commanding you, both you and your sons and daughters, all the days of your life, so that you will lengthen your life. Listen to them, Israel. Follow them carefully so that things will go well for you and so that you will continue to multiply exactly as the Lord, your ancestors, God, promised you in the land full of milk and honey. Israel, listen, our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around your houses and when you're out and about, when you're lying down and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. Now, once the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you, A land will be full of large and wonderful towns that you did not build. Houses stocked with all kinds of good that you did not stock. 
cisterns you didn't make, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and eat and get stuffed. Watch yourself. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Thank you, Ernie. You received this morning when you came in not only a worship folder, but um, there was also a note sheet for those who like to take notes or at least note if some nugget doesn't come in this sermon. You can write it down real quickly or you can use it as doodle space. Your choice. It's all yours. So let's walk through this text and see what it has for us today. Something that's fresh for a start for us this fall. It begins with Moses declaring, God commanded me. God commanded me. This is what God tells me to say to you all. He's clear. These decrees, these laws God has chosen for the people are going to be expressed. He is equally clear as to why the people are to know these commands. So that all of them, including their children and grandchildren, would fear the Lord That is, be in awe, have respect, and have great wonder for God. That's why. So that they would, by obeying, enjoy a long life. That's what God commanded him to express. So that they would, by obeying, enjoy a good life. As together they agreed to follow God. And so that they would, by obeying, see the fulfillment of God's promise that had been given to them. That they would have a place of their own. God has always been a placemaker. He's making a place for us now, just as he provided a place for them then. God is a placemaker. He goes on to say, listen, Israel, listen, listen to me. Not just hear, but listen. Listen to what I'm about to say. Listen, I'm speaking what God told me to speak. Listen, this is essential for you. This is what Moses is declaring. 412 times in the Bible, in the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, and the Syriac, you will find the word, listen. God either knows that we're hard of hearing, or he was intent on making sure that we did listen. God is very concerned that we listen to him. In the revelation given to John, and in a series that we will begin next Sunday, John writes to the seven churches of the Revelation, and at the end of each of those nuggets to those churches, he says, if you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God's intent is that we listen to him. Not just hear him, but listen. God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. Our Lord is the Lord the only Lord. It's called the Shema Yisrael, or the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's to be chanted twice each day, what the morning and evening prayers for the Hebrew people. The Shema is to be said at the opening of each synagogue service and at temple service as well. The oneness of God was unique For their world of multiple and ever-changing gods. The oneness of God is unique for our world. 
of partial gods and compartmentalized religion. God is one. He's not diffuse. He is single. He is not many. He is one. He is not vaguely everything. He is specifically defined. Jesus continued this claim of oneness when he said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one, the same, exactly alike. In a world filled with diversity, competing and changing values, warring religions and denominations, the only hope, the only stability, the only truth that has lasted and that can overcome what divides us is the oneness of God. We must begin there. After that, we work at the whole issue of unity and harmony. Love God, Moses said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your heart. In Hebrew psychology, the heart is the place of the mind and the will, the place of thinking and choosing. Therefore, love God is a matter of thought and a matter of choice. It's something that's chosen to be given. In our culture, the heart is really often confused with infatuation. Infatuation is basically an emotional response or a hormonal response. In the Hebrew language and thought, heart love is a conscious choice of devotion. Hebrew love is willful. Hebrew love is thoughtful, and while it can include emotion, emotion is not what drives it. An illustration. Schroeder's playing the piano. Lucy is watching him fondly. She says, guess what? If you don't tell me that you love me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold my breath until I pass out. Schroeder looks up from his piano and says, Breath-holding in children is an interesting phenomenon. It could indicate a metabolic disorder. A 40-milligram dose of vitamin B6 twice a day might be helpful. I think that's probably it. You need vitamin B6. You also might consider eating more bananas, avocados, and beef liver. As he goes back to playing the piano, Lucy sighs. I ask for love, and all I get is beef liver. <laughs> God asks for our love. Moses declared it thousands of years ago. Jesus displayed God's love for us 2,000 years ago. He asks for our love in return. Oh, he gets our love, but he also gets disobedience, either personally or together. Or we pick and choose what to obey from the scriptures. Not all of it, just some of it, the parts we find less challenging. He gets our religion, a form of love with traditions, but little or no substance. Not the real deal, not genuine love. He gets rules and regulations that we organize out of the Bible what we make up from his book to us, which is really a book declaring his love. And God gets lots of words, lots of promises, lots of exclusives, excuses. 
Do we give him our love, really? The choice of loving him, of adoring him, of pursuing after him? Love is a choice. It's a choice to be made, not just once. It's not like that Scandinavian man who said to his wife when she kept asking him, do you love me, do you love me? He said, did I tell you I loved you when we got married? She said, yes. When that changes, I'll tell you. (laughs) Stoicism. It's so awful. Just as God's love for us is ongoing, our loving God is also to be ongoing and daily, even moment by moment in life. Love God with all your being. Often that's translated soul. For the Hebrew person, the soul was the vitality of their life. That part that made you live, that part that when you die leaves, causing your body to stop functioning. Moses was telling the people of God and us to love God with your aliveness, with your vitality. Love God with all your strength or might. The last qualifier adds a sense of discipline to the love. Love God with all your force, with all your energy, with all your discipline. Make it an effort that you work at to build that love for God. Moses is calling the Hebrew people to love this one God, to choose to love him, to choose to think on him, to make him the vital focus of their life and living, to put forth their best effort in loving him. He's calling the people to be all in with God. Before family, before work, before Red Sox or Yankees, or this afternoon before Patriots, all in with God. God is to be the priority. Everything is to be focused towards God, and other things will come into play and place, and they're fine if God is the priority in life. Let love mark up your whole life, he goes on to say. your entire life. These words I'm commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around the house, when you're out and about, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house door frames and on your city gates. On your mind, your heart choice, fully loving God will reveal your love. It is to be our priority choice, the central passion of our life. If love is our priority, if love is our passion, it will show. It can't not show. If judgment is our choice, you know, evaluating other people, that also will show. What is really on our mind and in our heart reveals itself. I don't care what someone tells me. I prefer to watch them, and that tells me what the truth is of their life. Impress your children with love for God by reciting your love for God to them. A passionate priority of love for God will show at home. Your children will see it. They will see it before anyone else. They love it. They long for it. And their minds and hearts are not cluttered with lots of other life issues. It will be impressed upon them by your example. I'll never forget It's in my mind right now as I'm thinking about this. My father in his office, which was on the other side of the wall of my bedroom, 
and I would have to go by his office and up the stairs in the morning to breakfast. That's where he did his devotions every morning, day in, day out. His Bible was open. He would often be in prayer, not real loud for me to hear as some kind of pushy example. It was his quiet, wonderful way of giving God his priority for the day before he came up for breakfast and before he went off to work. Impress your children. They will duplicate what you show them. Oh, there's so many things my kids have duplicated that I've shown them. Some of them I'll tell you about someday. Some of them you'll never hear from my lips. They do watch, and they do imitate. They do follow. Talk love. Talk about love at home. I need to say to Carolyn several times a day, I love you. Why? Because I don't want to forget it. And I don't want her to forget it. It's a game we play as well. It's fun. Love is to be talked about. Human love, God love. Make it the first thing you speak each morning and the last thing you speak at night. Make it the topic at home. Make it the topic at school, at work, on the road, everywhere. How love is being shown. As you experience something that reveals love, identify it as such. Make it a part of the discussion you have with those around you. Show love. Tie it as a sign on your hands. The things that you do are to reveal love by how you do them and what it is that you do. What do people see in your work? Love for God, love for God's creation, love for people, excellence, care, respect. All of those display the love of God. Think love. Bind it on your forehead as a symbol, making loving God what you think about. Check what you place in your mind. Remember when computers first came out? I mean, not the computers that would take up this entire room that are now on your phone in that same space, but those computers when you might have been in school and, and, and the, the, the saying was, garbage in, garbage out. You remember the saying? Some of you do. Maybe some older ones. What you put in will come out. The things that we feed our mind will come out in our thinking and in our words. That's how it works. That's why it so concerns me over the years as I've watched some of the television programs and movies that come out that are filled with inappropriate, violent sex and inappropriate, violent violence so that we become numb to those things happening in real life. Oh, we may be able to separate and say, well, This was a movie. This was supposed to be entertainment. Interesting we use that for entertainment. And this is real life. We can maybe do that. But mostly we've numbed a couple of generations of young people with this kind of violence and inappropriate sexual behavior. Is it any wonder that we have the kind of violence that we have? Is it any wonder that sexuality is no longer something precious or cared for. It's something that's exploited and abused and used on people. And people become objects rather than living human beings. In the psychology of war, the key to the psychology of war is to name your enemy something that they are not, like an animal. 
And so we've had nations that we've called animals, various kinds of animals. Read anything about World War I, World War II, and you will see this happen. It's amazing how we use this psychology to demean and lower people to be less than human beings. And it's what we think and talk about, and it becomes how we really believe. We need to challenge that. We need to be countercultural to that. We need to be walking backwards with that to following Jesus, who does it a totally different way. Bind love on your foreheads as a symbol. Be careful what you put into your mind. It will reveal itself. It will change you for good and for ill. And then he says, remind yourself to love. Remind yourself to love. Write it on the door frames of your houses and on your city gates. Give yourself reminders. On your mirrors, you look there every day, don't you? Good spot for it. On the passageways of your life, like your cell phone or your computer. On your public places, on your dashboard, on your desk, in your cubicle, on your tractor, on your notebook for school. We're to remind ourselves to love. There's a chorus I recall a long time ago. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. You know it? I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. It's a great chorus. It's a help to focus. Oh, I like some of the other songs that are out there. I, I like the song, This Girl is on Fire. <laughs> because she is. <laughs> if you know her, you know that's true. And there's lots of great songs out there. But the heart song of our life as people who declare ourselves to be followers of Jesus is, I love you, Lord. It's our response to the God who always loves us, who loved Peter so much that even after he denied him three times, he reinstates him on the beach. There's so many questions about that story that Ernie read for us. Why was Peter naked, and why did we need to know that? (laughs) We're glad he put his cloak on before he dove into the water. It's all backwards. Usually you take things off to dive into the water. There's a question. Where did Jesus get the fish that he was cooking on the beach? He didn't wait for them to provide the fish. 
They were already cooking. What in the world was going on? There's so many questions I have about that text. But there's no question that to God, forgiveness of Peter was so clear and freely given. He didn't even ask for it. For us to say, well, I don't know if they're forgiven. They didn't ask for forgiveness. Too bad. We give it anyway. God gives it anyway. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said it from the cross. Talk about walking backwards. We want to get them to get on their knees and ask, beg for forgiveness for things that have been done to us. And God, in the Son, Jesus, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That kind of love is being given to us. And a fresh start would be for us to say, I want that kind of love percolating and a priority in the center of my life. Because when I love God like that, it will not be challenging to love people. Because God loves people, and I love God, so therefore I love people. Because God just does that in me, if I truly love him. And finally, God prepares and provides for you out of his love. To the people in Israel, currently just about to enter Israel, Moses writes, God is bringing you into the land he promised. Jesus is bringing us to a place he's promised as well. He provides the church as a place of promise, and he provides glory as a place of promise in heaven. This is an appetizer. That's the full meal deal. But it's God's provision. God is giving you flourishing cities that you did not build. Whatever town or city that you happen to live in, you didn't build it. God provided it through other people before you came along. God is giving you furnished houses you did not provide. You didn't. Probably there's only one or two people here that built their home. Somebody else built it. You may not even know who it was. You may be living in a very old home in a historic district in one of these beautiful towns that we all live in together. You didn't make the furniture. You may not even have painted the walls. You didn't landscape it. It was done for you. How do you get there? You get there in cars you didn't make, driving on streets you didn't pave, filled with gasoline that you did not develop from crude oil into gasoline. Do you see what I'm saying? God is saying the same thing to us. Look at all the things that I provide for you. You plug in and turn on a light to electrical power that you didn't bring to your house and that you didn't generate somewhere. You see, God has provided over and over and over. God is giving you wells you did not, di- did, not, did not dig. Fresh, accessible water for bathing, for drinking, for cooking, for recreation. Two weeks ago, not three weeks now, I was in the Boundary Water Canoe area. There was no running water. There was lots of water. It wasn't running. It was a lake. Beautiful. So we couldn't turn on the water. 
we went out and got the water. Then we added a whole bunch of pills to it. And you looked at the water. It was almost terrible to look at because it looked like, oh, I, do I dare say it? It looked like a urine sample. Because the water in northern Minnesota is so full of iron, it's, the rust shows through. And there we had this big five-gallon jug. We went about 30 yards offshore and filled it with water. And it, oh, it was just awful to look at. It was delicious to drink, and none of us got sick. One of the few times I really had to get my own water. I can go and turn on a faucet. I don't even water my plants anymore. I put in a drip system. Every plant gets dripped. It's wonderful, isn't it, Carolyn? She doesn't have to water them either because I kill them. She grows them. It's kind of how it works at our house. God is giving you vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. He's given us farmers who grow things, field hands who help grow them and harvest them. He's given us grocers who display them for us to buy, bakers to make things, truck drivers to drive them there, road crews to make the roads to get them there, restaurants that cook it for us so we can go get it there, either on the go or sit down and enjoy it or stand around and eat it. You see how we're provided for? God has made so many provisions for our lives. His reminder is, when all that happens, when all this good stuff comes, be careful not to forget the Lord. Be careful that he doesn't lose his place of priority of love in your life. You and I have a choice, a continual choice about God. We have time to make a difference in our life, in our home, at our workplace, and at school. Do you really love God? Are you all in? That's the fresh start. Without that, all the other teaching from Revelation 1, 2, and 3 will be nonsense. Because the love of God is to be the priority. It is the number one thing for us as children of God's making. Do you choose to love God tomorrow? You can choose today to choose tomorrow. If you're married... Is your love for God revealed to and for your spouse? I remember a church several years ago in California. Their names were Sue and Wayne, wonderful people. She was a tremendously passionate Christian woman, young woman. Her husband was an equally passionate Buddhist, and she loved him to Jesus, not pushy. She did not push him. She did not guilt him. She did not try to fix him. She just loved him, really loved him. And he came to Christ because of it. He didn't have to renounce his Buddhist faith. He had to accept Jesus as the Lord and God as the one, and he did. And one month later, he died of a massive stroke, leaving his office. Heartbroken. The question was asked by Sue, why? Why now? And I didn't know what to say to her. Finally, these words spilled out of my mouth. Maybe God has kept him alive for a long time so that he would believe. I don't know what else to say, Sue, but you loved him to Jesus, and she did. Are you a parent? Is your love for God revealed to and for your children? 
good friend of ours has four children. The youngest one is a renegade. I mean, a real renegade. And she has loved her daughter for more than 30 years, from the time she was born and continuing through today. She loves her just as she is. She doesn't lay guilt on her. She doesn't push her around. She's let her go. And she's gone all the way across the continent to make her home. She's beginning to come back home. Things are difficult at home with other family members. And this girl is feeling the love of God through her mom, who loves her unconditionally. That's what love does. If you're a child, okay, that's everybody. Everybody here's a child. Is your love for God revealed to and for your parents? Maybe they're here, maybe they're not. Maybe they've already gone. They can still be respected and remembered, treasured. First church I served after seminary, there were two young girls in the church, Karen and Linda. They lived in the neighborhood. It was a neighborhood church. One was a junior, one was a freshman. Karen, the older one, was just a lovely young girl, firstborn, raised her parents, that sort of thing. Linda, she was in competition with her older sister constantly. She was nothing but trouble everywhere she went because they were always competing with each other. Those two girls came to Christ my first year in that church. It was wonderful to watch the transformation. The parents had nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion of any kind. They were atheists from the get-go. Wonderful people, but they didn't know God. But now they got to know God through the lives of their two daughters who led them to Christ before I moved to the second church that I was able to serve. Love does this. Love is winsome. Love attracts. Love does not control. It blesses. Love does not coerce. It includes. This is what love does. This is what God wants to produce in our lives. And some of us may need to know that we need to change our direction. We may be walking like this, and for us, this Christian thing has become a faith. It needs to become a love. And we need to start backing up and doing it a new way, and allowing Jesus to really flow through our lives, beginning by us giving him full priority, being all in with him. What kind of advertisement are you for God, for God's love, and your love for God? What do family people see and hear from you about God's love as they observe? Observe, not hear, as they observe. What do your neighbors know about God's love from living next door to you? How about your colleagues at work or fellow students? What do they experience of God's love as they observe you? It can be done. I know it. I've seen it thousands of times. Repent of failure. Be fully devoted followers of God. Confess and surrender yourself to a new direction. That's the fresh start that will make a difference in the life of this church and the life of this community, so that when the terrible things happen, and they always will, like the loss of a teacher in Berlin, 
We'll be there to care and love and support and bless and embrace people who are broken and show them another way. We'll be, help, we'll be able to help people who live through the storms of things like Dorian and their lives are just in shambles. And we'll be able to come alongside, not just give words of prayer or words of encouragement, but actually do the things that show the love of God and the love of God's people for them. That's a fresh start, is it not? May God help us to do that. Pray with me. Father, help me and my friends here today to choose you. To choose to love you first and foremost. And to make that choice a daily habit of our lives. If there is anything, even any good thing, getting more attention or devotion than you, Reveal that to us so that we might adjust our choice and priority to you. May you be the passion of our lives, even as we are the passion of your life, of your son's life, of your Holy Spirit's life. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your son, the resurrected one, the one who loves us and who wishes to resurrect our lives to your love for you and for one another. It's in his name we pray. Amen.